All right, with that, let's pray, and we'll look at our passage here, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through uh, 45. Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for your word. Lord, I thank you for the gospel of Mark and, and the way in which he, uh, he moves at this, this quick clip through the, through this, the gospel of, of Christ. Um, Father, we turn a corner in his, his gospel as we approach uh, Jerusalem and, and the Passion Week. Uh, he slows down significantly over these last 16 uh, chapters as, as, as the focus really um, zeroes in on uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Father, I pray that as we read and study this passage, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, give us uh, spiritual ears and spiritual understanding, that we would uh, hear what you have to say and that we would absorb it, um, that we would allow you to speak to us. Lord, I confess that uh, so often we, we and I come to the text with our own thoughts, our own understanding, and, and we want to sort of tell you what we want. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to grow in the discipline of listening to your voice and, and listening, uh, Lord, as you uh, share from your word to us. Lord, may we yield our lives to you in all respects. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for this time that we have to gather, to worship you, to learn from you, um, and just to, to glorify you through our time with one another. We ask that you would do this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. <clears throat> they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles 
lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would help us now, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. So we begin the, the passage where we, we uh, just to, to sort of look at the, the map. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. This, I found a good map, but it didn't really translate well on this. I was, I'm not sure that you guys can see in the back, so I, I put a red circle at the top here. That's sort of the Sea of Galilee. Then you have the Jordan River, which flows from north to south. And then down here you have the Dead Sea. You should be able to see the line, which starts out on the, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, kind of skirts it, crosses over the Jordan to the east side, down, and then uh, through Jericho into Jerusalem. Um, th- this would have been the path that they would have, would have taken. Um, previously through the Gospels, there were, there were times when Jesus did go this way, and they had some friction. I only bring up the story because we have James and John. You know, they got their, their nickname, the Sons of Thunder, because when they were finding resistance going through Samaria, they looked at Jesus and say, hey, you want us just to pray that God would burn them off the face of the earth, that we could take care of it? And Jesus is like, oh, you guys, just calm down. Uh, they, they didn't do that. And, and, and so, but what they would do is they would come this way, and then they would get over to the east side to, to avoid Samaria. And as they came down, which is sort of, uh, well, this is modern-day Israel, but you know, Jordan's over here today, then you get to Jericho, and then no matter which way you approach Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem, it's up on a hill. Um, there, there's, there's literal meaning to it, and it also seemed to be um, that the temple was placed there and that the feeling and the mood of the people as they approached Jerusalem, they, they weren't just geographically going up like we go up to Palomar, but they, th- there was a feeling of awe and wonder as they were uh, approaching the place of, the, of God's residence on earth within the temple. And so they're making their way up to Jerusalem. And then we see that the mood shifts. And Jesus is walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And so it seems to, today we're going to come to the, in, in Mark's account, it's the third time that Jesus foretells of, of the impending cross. Um, when Matthew comes to the story, it's, it's the fourth time that Jesus has warned them of what is coming. And, and so it seems to me that, um, this, that those who were following him were fearful. It, 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 it seems that they recognize that they're kind of like walking into the eye of the storm. They're following after Jesus, but they're, they're fearful of, of what's to come because Jesus keeps alluding to them that something is coming. I can't help of Jesus at this stage of, of, of the game or this, this stage of, of his earthly journey that his disposition is, is changing, that he's putting on his game face, that he's kind of, he's heading into battle. Um, one of the, you know, I mentioned Italica, like I, I didn't, 
that day we were kind of like, we, were, we went to the seminary. We were supposed to be at Juana Maria's. It was like one of those, ah, we have 40 minutes. Let's not, we have 40 minutes. Let's walk down to Italica. And, and Anna's like, we got to the entrance. And Anna's like, well, do you want to go? And I'm like, I'll just sit here with the girls. We've been in here. I don't know how much it costs. Anna disappears, takes the boys up there. They come down and swing in their swords because they've just come out of the gladiator pit. And, and she's like, it was only one year to go in. I was like, oh, bummer. I, should, I would have gone had I, had I you know, I, I just didn't know what the sacrifice was and for a quick visit. And, uh, um, but she has this picture of them like, sort of like, in, like you can see them in the cave where the gladiators would come out to the open ring. And in seeing the picture, one of the, the, the like experiences I had in Sevilla, now I don't want to say this, and I, I know it's a bit controversial. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dying sport, no pun intended. And it's not really like in the United States, it's not really popular. But bullfighting is still alive and well in Spain, but it's not the season. And, and, but we did a tour of the bull ring. And normally I would just go, but it was like, no, you have to get a guided tour. Like, you have to have the tour guide take you to different places. And so one of the places that we went to that really got my blood flowing was they took us into, like, the last, like, little courtyard where the matadors hung out. It's like you have the open sky. You're blocked from the view of the crowd. There's, like, a very elaborate uh, chapel for them to pray. And like walking into this thing. Maybe I've seen too many movies about like gladiators and stuff, but it was like I literally got a gen- like adrenaline flow and like I'm about to go out and fight a bull. And bulls are no joke. Like I like I've with Grandpa Hilton's ranch, like I've had a few encounters with cows, let alone bulls and and so like just being in this little courtyard with the praying and then the door and you can see out to where they would release the guys to fight the bulls and you know, the bulls don't always lose. I mean, I think they always do lose. But sometimes the matadors lose also. And, and uh, like, because there's the emergency room and all of this stuff in the back. And I'm, like, getting out there, like, what if I was to get slung out there to fight a bull? Like, this is crazy. Like, this is, like, I'm ready to go. Like, you know, given the right environments, I might have, like, given it a shot. I don't know. Um, and, and that feeling of, like, okay, we're about to go out there. I can't help but to think that Jesus didn't have this in his mind. We, we know where he was at the garden, like days late. Like he's sweating drops of blood, praying like, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, let it pass. But not my will, but your will. Like there was, like he's getting close to making the sacrifice. This wasn't an easy thing. And so I just see intensity of Jesus. You can see that it's felt by those that are following because how far is how far is his execution going to ripple upon them? Uh, we, we know that 11 of the 12 disciples gave their lives. I know John didn't actually die, but uh, he was boiled in a vat of the big debate, was it oil or water? But he survived. Um, and so he wasn't actually executed, but they tried to execute him. They just failed. So they knew they were connected to something that potentially and in, in actuality did cost them their lives. And so, of course, they're fearful. Um, And we see that, again, he took the 12 aside. And for the third time in the Gospel of Mark, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. So he's prophesying to them. He's telling them the future, what's about to happen. 
This is about to happen to him, verse 33, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. So if you think about what he says and how everything happened, remember the Jews didn't have the authority to actually do the capital punishment. And so what he says here is they're going to they're gonna condemn me, and then because they don't have the authority to execute me, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles for them to finish the job. And he says they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Everything that he lists, mocking, spitting, scourging, killing, all of this fulfills what was written in Isaiah 53. It's, 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 this just doesn't happen. You can't fake the prophecy that's fulfilled in Christ. N- nobody can substitute what the Messiah did. Um, this word being delivered is a fascinating word. It's used a bunch in the New Testament. Uh, back in verse, where is it? Verse 33 we read that the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests. Now, when you read it in the context of Jesus saying it, it it, it almost sounds like he's being victimized, like it's happening to him, and he he has no way around it, Um, which you could could run with that, uh, because he was betrayed, right, by Judas. And this word in the Greek, you can translate this word in the Greek in the English as delivered. You can translate it as betrayed, which when Judas betrayed him, it's the same word that Judas that's used in that incident. Um, it also could be translated of giving or like that he gave himself is another way that it could translate. And so when Jesus is telling them, I I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going into Jerusalem and then they're going to get me. Like my luck's run out and they finally got me. We, we see all through the gospel, all through his three years of when they tried to get him and then he was gone. Like he was taken into custody because it was the time that was appointed for him to be taken into custody. He was taken into custody because this was the father's will for him to be taken into custody He was taken into custody because it was his will and his timing and his place of surrender to allow himself uh, to be taken into custody. Um, If we were to read Romans 8.32, this is what we read over in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, so the father did not spare his son, but delivered him over for us. Delivered him, same exact word that Jesus uses. And so over in Romans, Paul says that the Father delivered. It was the Father who gave him for us. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul writes again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ Jesus also loved you. And gave himself up for us. That gave himself is the same word used as this, that when he says he's going to be delivered. Um, gave himself up for us as an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. 
This is powerful. Like, Jesus isn't saying I'm going to be victimized. He's saying the whole purpose, my whole mission, my whole coming to earth was for the purpose of giving my life for you, which we'll see at the very end of this, in the very last verse. Um, This is an overwhelming act of love on Jesus' part for, for us. And then the question, like as I, as I read this, as I meditate upon this this week, kind of thinking about like, like what do we do with this truth? Like, what, like most of us who, who are Christians acknowledge, like yes, Jesus gave himself for us. But, but the question is like, how do we respond to that? I think sometimes we take it really lightly, like, oh, it was no big deal. It's just a free gift, you know, like, like no big deal. I got my fire insurance. I'm going to go about my life. I'm going to sort of add Jesus in, into whatever I'm doing and live my life now for me, and then when I die, I'm good. Um, worse than that is just totally like with apathy. Like, who cares? Like, this is old news. And, and I think when we look at like the history of civilizations, like the United States isn't far behind Europe. In, in Europe, the whole idea, of the, it's just like a joke. Like it's not even, like if you want to buy, buy and sell trinkets with the cross and Jesus, that's great, but it's, there's no like uh, transformation in the lives of individuals in large part in the culture because it's just, it's post-Christian. And so when we read this verse where he says, I'm going to be delivered. Like, what's, what's the appropriate response? Uh, over in Galatians 2.20, we read this. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We, we, we want to guess what that word gave himself up for me could be translated as, it's the same word as delivered that Jesus uses. So Paul here says, you know what? Jesus delivered himself. He gave of himself. The father gave his son. God gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we might have life. And the proper response is that we give our lives in return. Not to earn anything. It's just, it's, it, it's appropriate. It's it's, it's powerful, and, and you guys did a great job not laughing, trans, like the transition between what Jesus is talking about and then when the two boys come up and ask Jesus, like Jesus is talking about, hey, I'm going to the cross. They're going to take me. They're going to condemn me. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. They're going to scourge me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. All of this stuff is going to happen. Like, hey, Jesus, we have a question. We want you to do whatever we ask of you. <laughs> like, Huh? So this trip to Spain, obviously, like, I just got back from Spain. Spain's on my mind. I've been, like, like the, the spiritual, like, one of the spiritual lessons that I got in, on this trip to Spain that has, like, it, like, that really had the greatest impact on me while I was there is my comprehension of Spanish has increased enough that if I'm really focused and intent on, like, following the words that are being said with, like, total focus, like they're, they're, like a fly can't cross my path and go, oh, 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 like I have to really, really focus on hearing the words, then quickly trying to translate what 
you know, like maybe like 70% of the words are. There's a bunch of words I don't know, but I can piece together enough of the words that I can follow along. But then by the time it comes for a response, it's like, I, I haven't, I can't, I'm still, like I've been so focused on hearing that I'm not even ready yet to respond. Um, but, and then if you don't have the words, you don't have the ability to speak, all you have is the ability to listen, it really changes like your conversations. And because and, and, a lot of it, like Anna's like, man, you're really following. And I'd say, I give, she's like, what do you think they're talking about? I say, I think this, but I don't know. You guys are talking about church. And then all of a sudden, I thought you guys were talking about a cousin, but it doesn't make any sense to me. And then I can see that Anna's friend starts laughing. She's like, no, 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 we were talking about church. And then I started talking about my cousin because we're like all over the place. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'd, like, I don't know what you guys are saying about the cousin. Like I, cousin was in there. I got that. Um, but I realized that the, the lesson I've learned is so often like with English, our native language is you're so good at hearing the words and taking them in and processing that you really stop listening. And you're starting to think about what you're going to say, and then you kind of miss the whole thing. And I think we do this with God all the time. Like, we think we know the Word of God, that you're just reading, like, I'm doing the reading through the Bible. If it's a passage that I know, it's like I can be guilty of, like, scrolling really quickly. Like, I know the story. And I think God wants to say, well, don't, don't, pretend like you don't know the story. Like, allow me to speak to you. Um, you know, I think it was James that said you have two ears. Be, you know, be, quick to, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And, and as I'm looking at this story, the transition between verse 34 and 35, they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Jebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. And it's like, like these guys... And when you look at the other, um, the other telling of this passage in Matthew and Luke, which are listed at the bottom, in and, and Luke chapter 18, verse 34, it's fascinating. This is what Luke says. In, he adds a little bit of insight between verse 34 and 35. And what he says is, but the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not understand or they did not comprehend the things that were being said. So Jesus is saying all of this stuff, but it's like their spiritual ears are clogged and they miss, like, they not only miss it, like, they totally miss it, what Jesus is saying. Um, And on one hand, it's very encouraging to me to see them miss it again because it shows us how Jesus responds to them with like total grace, total like love, mercy. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think, how would I respond to these guys? Like, I'm about to give my life. I think I'd be more inclined to snap at them and say, where are you idiots been? Like, are you guys not? Like, I know how I acted towards seal wannabes when I was an instructor, and that seems more logical how to respond to these guys. Like, Jesus is the Messiah. He's talking about making this greatest sacrifice ever. And like, hey, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And it's like, who would ever, like, first off, ask that bold question. And so it's just like, 
what are, what are they thinking? What are they asking? Um, if you go to Matthew's account, it, it almost gets a little bit more interesting because over there, Matthew records that it was their mom that did the asking. And so trying to reconcile, like trying to reconcile how, how do these two pieces fit together, most commentators believe that what happened is like, that their mother actually did the asking for them. That mom went over to Jesus, fell at his feet, and said, hey, Jesus, I, uh, you know, my two boys are really special. Because every mom thinks that. Your, your boy could be the biggest, like, l- you know, but moms love their kids, you, like, which they should. And we do, as parents, we do. But it's like just the whole picture of this lady falling at the feet of Jesus saying, you know, well, my two boys just sit at your right and left. And then if you do a little bit of study and you realize that it's believed that this is Salome, I don't know if you say it's, I think of it as Slami, but it's, I think it's Salome. And it's believed by most that this is Mary's sister, which would make Jesus her nephew and James and John Jesus' cousins. So there is sort of some like family pool, like, hey kid, you know, like, I have sisters that are like aunts. And I'm still like the little kid no matter what I do. Like I, like I remember I had like deployed a couple times. I'm trying to, like I'm going to gas my car and my sister's like, Gunnar, are you sure you know how to work the gas pump? And I'm like, you've never even left the United States. I've tr- I know how to fill up a stupid car with, like, come on. Like, and so I don't know if there's some of like the aunt like trying to, okay, Jesus, let's keep it in the family when we're laying out rank and structure and, and, uh, and, and not, she's close to Jesus. We see that she likely followed him all the way from Galilee down. We see that she trails through the whole scene of the cross. John and James, they love Jesus. Um, they would do great things. And I love Jesus' response, verse 36. So he looks at them and he doesn't say, what are you boneheads? Like, do you not get it? Like, I see Jesus with like a smile on his face and a little twinkle in his eye and said, I can see him looking at the father. Let's just ride this one out. Let's just see where they go with this. Like, uh, like okay. what do you guys want me to do for you? Like, wh- what is it that you want? And they said to him, grant that we may sit on your right and one on your left in your glory. Now, they... Sw- this, so in this, in my quick condemnation of them, a few people pointed out that they actually had shown some growth in their question. Because their question, when they talk about their glory, they sort of are getting the gospel. Like, okay, something's going to happen in Jerusalem, but Jesus, like, you fast forward, he's going to rise, and then the kingdom will then be established, and, and then his glory will be there. Um, because they say, like, after all of this stuff, okay, we get it. You're going to go to, you've told us three times now, we get it. You, this is, something's going to happen there, but then the kingdom's established. And here we are. And so what we'd like is, it would be really great, like, between us, we're willing to be good brothers and not fight and argue. Like, if one of you, well, you put either one of us on the left, that's fine with us. And the, you know, the right was the place of authority. They're not going to squabble over that. Just put one on the right and the other one on the left, and that would be, in your glory, that would be wonderful. Like our mom's here, she agrees, she's your aunt, like this, this is the family, family business, you know, it'll be good. 
But for them, it's almost like the gospel or the, the cross is like this little like blip in the radar. Like it, like it was this little speed bump that they'll get through and get to the real business. When in, when in reality, the, the cross... The gospel, like this is the jugular vein of Christianity. Without the cross, you don't have Christianity. Without his sacrifice, you don't have anything. And so Jesus says to them in verse 38, he says, you don't know what you're asking. He's like, you kids just don't even, you don't even understand, like to sit at my right and my left and, and to, to, to do what you're asking, you guys aren't even understanding what you don't know. He says, are you able to to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism, which I am baptized? Now, we're not talking about water baptism. This is like the the cup is often used in the Old Testament as like punishment, consequence, wrath. Um, Baptism, think more baptism of fire and purification. And so Jesus is speaking of this suffering and the pain and the sorrow and the agony that's going to be placed upon him, and they have no clue what they're even asking. And so it's almost like he's being gentle with them and saying, you guys, you're not getting it. Like, are, but he does ask them the question, are you going, do you think you can handle the cup and the baptism? And of course they said, we're able. Yes, Lord. And... It's not like Peter's response. When Peter says, no, you know, I'm not, I'll go to the death for you. I'll never deny you. Jesus says, hey, listen, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus with them says, you're right. You, you actually will be able to endure these things that you're speaking of, even though you don't have a clue. Jesus said to them, the cup which I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized the, 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 the Acts of the Apostles records that James, this James is the first apostle to lose his life for the sake of the gospel, that he's executed uh, for his faith. And, and I would venture to say that he got off easier than the Apostle John. The Apostle John left, led a life of like persecution, suffering, exile, and he was like, you know, he just wouldn't die. And then he's like banished out on the island and God used him in a, in a spectacular way through the suffering to, to lead and to shape the early church. So Jesus tells him, you, you will dr- drink from the cup and you will be baptized. You, you guys can do that. But in verse 40, he says, but to sit at my right or my left, that's not mine to give. That's the father's to give. Like it's for, or he said, no, he says, for, for those whom it has been prepared. He doesn't say it's not them, but he doesn't say it's them. And he's like, don't worry about the right or the left. And in hearing this, the 10 began to feel indignant with James and John. And, and I don't think that they're mad that they asked the question. I think that they're mad that James and John like had the thought to like send their mom and to do all like, like that they were ahead of them. Like that there, that there was, it's kind of, and especially with Peter, like the James, Peter, James, and John had this special click, but now they broke from Peter. They went to Jesus, sort of asked something apart from the others, and now they're furious. Uh, like there's dissension in the ranks because they're, they're vying 
for pull position. It's, it's like in the workplace when there's a job opportunity, somebody steps down and now it's like everybody's fighting, like clawing their way to the top and trying to fight for that position. Um, the, oh, I didn't write it down, but apparently this is, Mark uses a, a, a literary transition that's called something in the literary world that, that highlights, see the readers, we understand all of this talk about the cross because we're looking back. And even when Mark first penned the gospel, the, 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 the cross had already happened, the readers understood. And so uh, the, the position of Jesus talking about the cross before and after sort of like sandwiched in between is their discussion about getting these seats. It just makes it all the more uncanny. Like, like it highlights to us, like this isn't accidental that John, like Mark is pointing this out to us. Um, and then Jesus is going to transition as he continues their teaching on greatness, which, which has been going on just in verse 32, where we, where we ended last week. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus is trying to teach them over and over and over again that his economy, his way of leadership is exactly opposite of, of the world's. And so in verse 42, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. So he says that the Gentiles, as they get higher up, they have more and more people that are in their control and they basically lord it over them. Um, uh, Charles Swindoll tells a story of when he was a young, a young man in the ministry. There was some conference where um, they were, they were this, this president of another seminary was supposed to come and to speak at this conference call and they're like, we're, really, we're running behind schedule. Can you two kind of, these two kids from like this school, can you run and go pick up this guy at the airport to bring him back for the conference? And so he's like, it was before 9-11 and we, we are waiting at the gate and somehow we, we missed him coming out of the gate. And so we're like, oh, let's run down to luggage and see if we can grab him. And they're looking around, they don't see any guy. Then all of a sudden they see a guy with like a, uh, you know, like, the, the, I don't know, the, you know those hats they used to wear with the, the thing, I'm sure they're called something, but like a hat with a full-on suit and tie and he's carrying his bag, and he's, Swindoll's like, yeah, that's, that's got to be the guy. And he's like, how do you know? He's like, look at him. That's just him. Like, that's got to be. And so they walk over. They're like, hey, are you Dr. So-and-so? And apparently the guy, like, drops his bag and says yes. And, like, says, like, expecting them to pick up his bags and haul it all around. And it left a really bad taste in Charles Swindoll's mouth. And he's like, listen, if you guys are going to the ministry, and you think that this is what you're going to get, leave. Don't, this isn't what it's, it's about being a servant of all. And this guy all pompous thinking that, that because he's such and such that he should have every, like these two little guys, like, it's exactly the opposite of what Christ teaches. That the way up is down, the, 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 the higher up, quote unquote, that you get in following Christ, that means that you have more and more people to serve. Verse 43, he says, it's not this way amongst you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, like literally slave. Uh, the last few weeks was really nice. It was super quiet at the church. 
it seemed like on, as soon as we began transitioning on the way back home, a whole bunch of crises started to pop up in the last 10 days. The first one was on a Sunday. I'm looking at Melanie. I think we're getting ready to like pack up and go to the airport. And I start getting these text messages from her. And there's like a righteous indignation of being flustered. There was like, I'm so sorry for texting you and bothering you while you're... And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, somebody stole the propane tank from the church and there's all of this stuff and we got them on camera and we're doing all this stuff and it's okay. And I'm like, wait, Melanie, I think I got a $50 propane tank got stolen. It's like, that's okay. Like, relax. It's like, it's, it's okay. And then so when I get back, I look at Henry. I go to men's Bible study and I'm like, Henry, what's the deal with the propane tank? Like, Melanie seemed like, was it really? He's like, no, somebody came and they unscrewed it. They took off, went off propane tank. I told Melanie what she had to do with the, the law enforcement. And, and I'm like, yeah, that would kind of freak out Melanie, like the whole... And he's like, yeah, when they came, he's like, yeah, I, I told him first that the pastor will be back on Wednesday. And he's like, yeah, I didn't want to do that to you. So I showed up and I told the guy, I gave him all the report. And, he, and then he's looking at me, he's like, they were really concerned about my title. And he's like, I didn't know what to tell him. And he's like, so finally I told him my official title was helper. <laughs> and he said, you sh-, I'm like, because I was thinking of the text, I'm like, you should have told them that you were our slave. It'd be biblical and just to see how they would respond, you know? Like, because we all care about title. And he says, if you want to be great, you shall be your servant. And it's like this, you know? So service is the way to greatness. Um, and whoever, oh, I got to turn the page. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. So he continues. This isn't the first time this, this, this premise has occurred. And then he continues in verse 45, speaking of himself, for even the Son of Man did not come. Just to point out, he speaks of, he talks about coming, that, that, that before he was incarnate, before he was born of the Virgin Mary, he existed. And so he speaks of his purpose, his, his, his whole reason for coming to earth, taking the form of a man. He says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He says, listen, guys, my my purpose here is to serve. And then he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, I do want to pause here. We're going to put the sermon on pause. We're going to have the guys come up, and they're going to pass out the elements for communion. And I want you guys to, to hold the elements of communion. And I want to talk about the meaning of ransom as you have the elements in your hand. Uh, but, but yeah, go ahead and just pass them out. Um, as, as they're passing them out, take this time uh, just to, to pray and, and to seek God and this, this teaching on being a servant of all. All right, so just hold on to your elements. I'm going to set mine down because I need my hands to talk. Um, So this last phrase, and to give his life as a ransom for many. um, I think when I look at uh, like rescue missions, it seems like from law enforcement, military, the the, the most delicate, time-sensitive, fearful ones are when there's like a hostage situation. Um, because there's an unknown counter on 
how long that hostage has to survive before something bad happens to them. Um, If you remember three words from today's sermon, I would ask that you remember delivered, servant, and ransom. And I pause to get the elements out to us because in order to understand this, this, this word that Jesus used, where he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many, we need to understand the context of what they would have heard. Um, so during that time, they lived under Rome. Um, one of the things I really enjoy about visiting Europe um, and Israel is you get to see like, like history. America, we really lack a lot of old history here. When we go back a couple hundred, 300 years, um, we're, we're, they call us a new world, for, you know, we're babies. And um, when you go back and you walk into a building, you're like, oh yeah, this one's just from the 1200s. This is a new building. It's like, what? It's like the 1200s, you know? Um, so Rome, as they conquered the world and they, um, you know, they, they built up all of their, their cities, like Italica, and you go to Caesarea and, and Israel, and just all, like all through Europe, there's just Roman ruins everywhere. And when you go to these places and you recognize, like, the power of Rome and just, like, the, the battles that they fought and, and the carnage that was left in its wake. And so when there was a war, they would go and they would conquer an area. And once, whoever it was, like, whenever the decisive winner came, what would happen at that point is they would then pillage for goods, uh, resources, and then they would basically wrangle up the survivors. They would tie them together and they would take them back and these individuals would be used as slaves. I don't think that we need to talk about you don't want to be that person. <laughs> like to, to, be, uh, to lose in war and then to be made a slave is, is the worst possible thing that could happen to an individual. Um, as the individuals were brought back to the home country, there would be like a sorting out of, of who's who of the prisoners. And every like often what would happen is they would discover like, oh, here's a general, here's a prince, here's somebody of, of value that would make a terrible slave, but there would be a, 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 a it would begin the process of selling that individual to, to back to their country or their individuals or somebody that would want them um, for a different purpose, just for, for saving them. So the, the process of sort of screening out the slaves and identifying the ones that had value that could be sold, this process was called the redemption process. Once a slave was identified that it could be sold back for value, the individual on the other end, whoever it was, that wanted to acquire that person to free them out of the slavery that they were in, the price that was paid for their redemption was called the ransom. So the process is redemption. The payment is ransom. 
And so when we look at this statement that Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many, what he's saying is there are many who are in captivity, who are in slavery, and his life, the elements which you hold in your hand, the the little... uh, Cracker symbolizes his body that was broken. The little cup of juice symbolizes the new covenant, this eternal covenant that we have in Christ, this once and for all. That was the payment that was required to free the many. So when Jesus says he was delivered in Jerusalem, this wasn't some accident. He gave himself. The Father sent his Son and gave him as an offering, as a ransom for us. Jesus willingly gave his life as a, a ransom. And so the, the, the real question is, are you still in slavery? Have you trusted in Christ to, to, to be bought out of the slavery of sin and condemnation, the wrath of God that is due you, or, or are you still there? For those of us that have received the gift, the ransom that was paid for our souls, we rejoice. We take this as a reminder to, to, to remember, to reflect, to, to tell ourselves again and again that our position with God isn't based on the good or the bad that we've done. It's about the body of Christ that was broken as a payment for us, that in him we have been set free. We're free. Think of the whole book of Galatians. It's for freedom that you've been set free. You've been set free. Stop living for your old life. Stop doing the things of the flesh. Christ died for you as a ransom, as a payment to release you. Paul, his prayer that we're going to close with, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, he says it again in chapter 7. He says, for you have been bought with a price. This was the price that it costs to free you out of condemnation. So therefore, glorify God in your body. Like all of chapter 6 is about these sins that are done within the body. And he's saying, you've been set free in Christ. And so today, I'm going to pray that we'll take communion. We recognize the ransom that, like, that, that God has paid for us to give us freedom. I'm going to stop. I have a whole, uh, let's just pray. Uh, Father, we do. Lord, we're just in awe. I'm in awe of you, God. Um, I I recognize that there's so much of the gospel, the story, the the weights behind the story, the pressures behind the story that I, I don't get, that I take for granted, that I... I like being a human. I like living. And so the thought of Jesus stepping into earth and, and just that punishment from his glory to, to human body is, is beyond me. But your word tells us that, um, that he took the form of a man, that he came to earth, that he lived this perfect life as our example, that he was delivered, that he gave himself for the very purpose of paying the ransom that was due us. 
And so, Father, we thank you for what he has done on our behalf. I pray, Lord, for each person here that has received uh, this gift, that you would help us not to take it lightly, that you would help us uh, to glorify you in our bodies, that we would recognize the, the price that was paid on our behalf. Uh, for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would uh, make clear to them your love. Make clear to them that it's not about works, it's, it's about believing. We thank you that it's not about works. And Lord, as we take communion today, we, uh, we just ask that you would continue to challenge us Lord, help us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the calling that you've called us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.